Jasper Ford has finally returned from his self-imposed creative hiatus of several years and has returned with another great new, I call it a comic novel, but that's one of my questions for you, Early Riser, which is set in the wild and woolly landscape of Wales. This is a running theme, a running setting in your work. Is, is that your major inspiration, the Badlands, the wild Badlands of Wales? It, it's where I live, and I've lived there for nearly 20 years, and I've always had a very strong connection to Wales, although I'm not Welsh. It just seems right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast in number 640, Jasper's Early Riser. Jasper Ford has written a new comic thriller called Early Riser, which is set in a world very much like ours, except it's one in which most of humanity hibernates every winter. Like all of Jasper's novels, it balances a lot of tones and depicts a richly imagined world, and I was excited and delighted to read it and sad when it was over. So I was thrilled to chat again with Jasper, and he began our conversation by telling me why Wales is such an inspiration for his books generally, and his latest novel, Early Riser, in particular. It's slightly wild, it's slightly woolly, and it's very it's very Welsh, which which kind of means something if you understand that this was a nation subjugated in 1215, right? So we're not talking about, you know, like a couple of hundred years ago. We're talking, you know, 800 years ago, and yet it has a very, very strong identity, it has a, a uh, a language, a very strong language, and um, and I think there's a lot to be said about the the resilience of the of the people and the and the nation and the and the landscape that um, that, that maintains its identity. So I kind of, in that respect, I, I kind of really like it. You know, well, it's cool. Wales becomes sort of your Middle Earth. Yes, but not content with creating one Middle Earth, you use mm. Wales as a, as a setting for all these worlds that you are creating can you can you can you reduce the plot and the description <laughs> of early riser down and um, to, and describe it for us yeah i can yeah um this is uh, this is a thriller set in a world in which humans have always hibernated and and the the important word in that sentence is always so uh, so humans have always been like this. So we are subtly different, um, I think, in our uh, in society, in economics, in 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 all manner of uh, in all manner of ways. And I think that's kind of the fun of the book. It's not just a uh, a good sort of fun romp through a somebody trying to find themselves, someone who is a bit rudderless trying to find themselves and find, trying to find a place to belong, but also a fascinating world in its own right. And it's probably, I think. Um, one of my novels which may be the actual world itself because we're always very worried in fantasy of course that we don't make the world dominating you know we we don't want that we want it just to be the canvas upon which the the characters you know strut their stuff um but the the world i think has become almost like a character of its own it's uh, the coldness is certainly a sort of almost like a malevolence um but it's uh, that's basically it my my character charlie worthing is somebody who's remaindered at the orphanage, you know, so not a good start in life, and has an opportunity to be a winter consul 
And a winter consul is one of the, uh, uh, maybe not elite is perhaps the wrong word, but a band of misfits to whom staying awake during the winter, something that very few people would like to do and has all, all manner of dangers and health concerns, uh, Charlie is deciding to be one of these um, and, and therein perhaps uh, finds themselves. Well, it was magnificent uh, to start reading it several weeks ago here in Chicago mm. du during our polar vortex. Um, uh, yeah. it, was, it was a little worrying because it's <laughs> how close to home it struck. But one of the one of the themes, and I don't think this is a spoiler, one of the themes of the book is is somehow while you're hibernating for months and months, uh, there's there's a there's a desire to remain productive during this mm. sleep time, which mm. strikes me as a, as a desire we've all, particularly those of us writing on deadlines, we all wish we could do. And I'm wondering whether that idea of wanting to be productive during sleep was the initial impulse that made you want to write it, or did you have, or did, was it the other way? Did you think, ah, gosh, I want to write a book about all, where it's always winter. What would that be like? Yeah, I, I don't know, really. I mean, it's it's I, I'm not sure where all these ideas come from. I mean, certainly there are there are many different ideas that came together under one hibernation umbrella idea. So I had lots of themes kind of kicking around in my head. And and there's a there's a viral dream in it. And that was an idea that I wanted to somehow get in. Um, for years, I've described um, writing over the winter as scribination. Uh, because I'm desperate to get myself into the OED, you know, the Oxford English Dictionary, as <laughs> having, you know, first first source for a, you know, major new word. So I always I bandy these words around, and scribination, I think, is a really good word because it means writing during the winter, and it's it's a great thing to do, especially in 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 Wales, and the winter can be a little bit, shall we say, dreary. Um, <laughs> uh, so so I think maybe it came came from that, and I think being productive over the winter, for me as a writer certainly is is something I've always wanted to do is like work during the winter and then I can play during the summer uh, and not work at all and of course it never works out that way but you know one has high ideals well and and you talk about work and play this mm. creating all these worlds must be enormous fun for you it, it is yes it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interest uh, yeah because what is the what is the exciting part of it obviously creation itself creativity having ideas having new silly ideas is fun in itself but that's kind of half the story i think the other half of it is the elegance by which one can put ideas together and I think there is a, a one, almost a sort of sense of engineering excellent, um, uh, engineering um, elegance, but that you can have all these myriad of little elements within a story, and then somehow, like a, like like a sort of watchmaker, is like pop them all in, so it all clicks together. And and you know the viral dream, it, it has a payoff. I think it has a really good payoff. And this character, you know, the, the winter volk, which are the mythology, mythological creatures that exist during the winter. There is this sort of crazy, crazy uh, winter vault called the Gronk, um, who has all kinds of bizarre things that they, and that's kind of important too. And and I think that that's kind of the excitement for me is not just having the ideas, but but trying to fit them all together, you know, make it all work, make it all tick. Yes, that's the the, the elegant craftsman aspect <laughs> yes. of it. You're, you're, well, you're... maybe maybe craftsman is is being a little presumptuous, but. 
Um, you know, I'm talking high ideals here. <laughs> no, I think it's I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I mean, oh, good, good. Yeah, it, I mean, because you throw in all these details. I mean, every 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 chapter, as in many of your books, has this lovely epigraph from a document in this world that tells yeah. you more about the history of this world, and, and and so you get the fun of and the challenge of writing in this in the in the language and the style of that particular document whether it's a boring bureaucratic or pot boiler kind of melodramatic something i mean you just give yourself the opportunity the permission to write in all these different wonderful styles yeah i must say it's, it's a lot of fun but there is i mean i i will i can give you a little a little blast to one of your your past endeavors was of course your radio show we still listen to that in the car ah and that must, I mean, when did you guys do that? That was a while ago now, wasn't it? Gosh, we did it uh, 95, yeah. 96? Well, listen, you, you, you should, uh, I, I'm sure you've got it somewhere, you know, where your, your listeners can listen to it. But, you know, that is, a, it's a beautiful piece of work because it has, the, and what, what we're talking about is this elegance of construction. The way that all fits together with the jokes and the characters and, you know, and it just all works really, really well in a kind of vaudevillian kind of, um, you know, show that just absolutely works. And I th so, you know, I think that that whole thing about um, uh, elegance of construction, I think it's very exciting. And that must have been a very exciting time for you in the recording studio, actually going through that and having your funny noises and the jokes and all the Marx Brothers references and, and everything. Well, it was enormous fun and so much of it was... Like, it, the impulse is fun, the, mm. the initial impulse is fun, and you go, oh, this would be great, I'll write this. And then there's the hard work of, well, heck, now i got to make it all, I got, I, now i got to make it elegant, and that sometimes is hard work. But then you get in the studio, and, and now you're playing again. I, this must mm. be true for you as well. You get, you get into a rhythm, and you're, now, you're, now the work is done, and now you're playing again for these final sort of touches and grace notes. Creativity, it's, 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 love. it's lovely. It's, I mean, I just, I just enjoy it so much. You know, I really do, with the books and everything. Yeah, you're right. Creativity is both the angel and the devil on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Hi there, I'm David J. Lore of the Incomparable Network and the Incomparable Radio Theater, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and U.K. on our website. Our 2019 tour continues this week at the Humphrey Theater at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. Then continues on with performances in Reston, Virginia, Houghton, Michigan, Appleton, Wisconsin, Lubbock, Texas, Amherst, Massachusetts, Flint, Michigan, River Forest in Effingham, Illinois, Meridian, Kansas, a week at the Virginia Arts Festival in Norfolk, Virginia, and in three weeks on April 5th and 6th, we'll be giving two performances of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged in Los Angeles at the Broad Stage in Santa Monica. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Jasper Ford about his new novel, the comic thriller, Early Riser. 
it's a phenomenal book, and, uh, as is all your books, but I'm glad you called it a thriller because it was thrilling. Um, it was a thrilling adventure and it has all the different elements, all the sci-fi elements, um, um, but also the kind of slightly horror elements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it is funny and your, your protagonist uh, is also very, like Thursday Next, another great, strong female protagonist. Um, lots of women in your books, come to think of it. Um, is that conscious? Um, I, I don't know, really. Um, I think it must be because, uh, and even, I mean, it's an, an, an interesting one, really, because, because I, I was talking to someone about this and they were saying, you know, you, you have, you know, these great strong female characters. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. But, but at the same time, it's important to have, uh, secondary male characters who are totally okay with strong female characters. Right. And, 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 and I'm, I'm kind of thinking that and the ancillary task of, of, of the males is actually also really important because I think the Landon character in the Thursday Next series, I mean, he, he is someone who I think could have had a, a literary career and wrote a few books and was probably, you know, pretty good. And he sounds like he's funny and everything. But he sees himself very much in the, as the support for someone who's very remarkable and has no issue with that. Um, and then the same with uh, Shades of Grey and Eddie Russett and, yeah. and I think Tiger Prawns in, in the Dra Dragon Slayer books. Um, they're all okay with these these strong female leads, and and I think that's kind of important too. But yeah, I do like I do like them. Um, I do like strong female leads. But um, but we don't know for sure. I mean, it's interesting you say that Charlie's female, but um, we we don't we don't know that, do we? I guess do we, we don't. I thought we did, but perhaps we don't. Well, it's it's still up in the air. Well, it's uh, it's a spectrum. All things are fluid. It I, it is. It I is. Don't, I don't judge. I mean, I mean, as you say, you know, it's yes, it's important to have strong female characters, and it's important to have um, secondary male characters that are, are cool with that. But it's also important just to have characters. Full stop. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, can I, I described your um, creative hiatus as self-imposed? Was it? Did you? What What happened there? No, it, it wasn't self-imposed at all. It was it was completely un un sort of uh, un um, unplanned and everything. Um, for some reason, I just came to this staggering halt. I was I had I had my ideas. I started writing the book, and eighteen months later, I was because I've always I've, I've never planned my books. I I I don't plan. I just have my my narrative dare, which is you know write a book about you know a thriller. Uh, humans have always hibernated, and I start off with that. And because it's always worked in the past, me just making stuff up, and then eventually the book emerges, you know, from the sort of textual gloom, if you if you like. Um, it, it I always expected it to work, and this time it did not. Uh, Eighteen months later, and I had just textual jam sitting on the the screen staring back at me it was it was terrible um and then after i think two and a half years uh and this massive sort of you know unwieldy awful tome was about one hundred eighty thousand words and then i then i had this sort of rather bizarre and sort of naive and perhaps arrogant notion that maybe it was brilliant after all right and that, in fact, I just couldn't see my own genius. And I, and I had, in fact, developed magic hands, you see. And, I, and every, everything I wrote was going to sort of turn to gold, you know. And I was absolutely a you know, complete genius. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just package it up and, and send it to my editors and see what they say. And, 
And of course, I, I was completely right. It, it was absolutely rubber. No, I was completely wrong. Sorry. <laughs> it, I, I was completely wrong. It was awful. I mean, it really was, I mean, almost unreadable. And and then it was, I think there was sort of, I think they gave me an E minus or maybe an E plus perhaps for it, reading between the lines. And then it was made just me a question of sort of going back and just going through it again. And somewhere within the next year, I think, uh, I reduced it to about 120,000 words and I had to give them uh, something to look at again and usually this is two drafts I've given them and usually I've, I just give a good draft and that's it um, and it had gone from sort of completely unreadable to completely unpublishable which I think was 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 you know that's that's good that's I mean, still that's, progress yeah, that is definitely progress <laughs> you know it really really was um, and I was kind of on the right track and then it was another eight months and I was then it managed to come back onto track but where did it all go wrong um I'm not sure. I think it's because in creative endeavor, it's it's like everything has to be right. The planets have to be aligned. You have to be in the zone. You have to be able to commit, you know, five to six hours a day of good, positive thinking, creative, creative thinking to a project. And I think that a little bit of fog had drifted in left and right in my life. And... And I think that I learned a new skill. I, I, I think I'm writing in pretty much the same way as I always have. But I learned a new skill within that sort of three years. And it was, as I describe it, to see the goalposts through the fog. Mm. And, and I think that's a kind of, I quite like that. And I think I made it up. I don't think I heard that anywhere else. Um, but yeah, the fog, you know, fog, the fog of life, you know, all the things that you, you know, elderly parents and all manner of other stuff starts, you know, coming in that you have to deal with. And, and I think um it's, it's kind of saying that almost can unpackage itself that you, you do need to, and it's all about focus and, you know, seeing, seeing the, the goalposts through the fog or knowing the goalposts are there, being able to see them, even if, even as the sort of fog drifts across. Um, and I think that was the skill and, uh, that I learned was actually to be able to focus without thinking what's going on left and right. And once I'd done that, then I was kind of doing all right and I could actually then finish writing it. But I don't think, you know, I'm not sure I have a very healthy relationship with this book now because of, you know, because of what it took to write it. And I'm just keen to move on. But happily, uh, you know, this, this story does have a happy ending. Um, well, I mean, Early Riser has a kind of happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but my story, uh, yeah, when I, finished, when I finished this book, I started on my next book. And, uh, and I've just handed that in. And that was like nine months. So... I, whatever it is, I seem to be over it and delivering books again in the the old book a year thing. Wow! So, so you're back on track. Well, and you talk about mm. you talk about seeing the goalposts through the fog. Was there was there an editorial Sherpa that was able to sort of guide you through the fog or point you or push you in a direction, or was it you just sitting down with the with the text and going, "What the hell have I done here?" Uh, it was it was me sitting down with the text. And I think it was because the way, the way I write, because because I've got all these elements um, in the story and I have no planning. Um, what I'm doing is I'm sort of juggling with about, you know, 28 balls in the air. And and it's you, you've got to keep them in the air. And that takes quite a bit of sort of focus and attention and a lot of concentration. Yeah. And I think it was I think it was losing the concentration, losing the focus, 
things, other things were going on that were, were just sort of drawing me away from what I was meaning to do. And, and it was it was just literally that it was like, no, Jasper, focus, focus, focus. You know, don't worry about it. This is what's important. Look at the goalposts and just head towards them and ignore everything else. Um, and that's when I said, you know, that was a skill I had to learn. And, and you know, for the 12 years leading up to it, I hadn't had to worry about that, you know, because everything was kind of working. Well, you did set, I mean, you, 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 as you say, you threw a lot of balls up in the air in this story of Early Riser, mm. and there is a lot to juggle. And I was, and I wondered whether you have, do you have post-its all over your walls? Do you have flowcharts or spreadsheets or uh, like serial murder pins on strings across? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like they do it, like they do in TV shows when they, when they discover, yeah, when they have that huge wall. I think there must be someone who is like paid to do those things on the wall with the red string. <laughs> oh, yeah. it must be, it's a, it's a very specific skill, isn't there? There must be someone you can call, you know, we, we need one of those flow charts, you know, get so-and-so. Um, no, I don't. Um, I think the problem is, is because all the elements of the stories uh, of my stories are so complicated and can change so easily that I would spend almost the same amount of time updating the flow chart. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, I try and work on things very intensely. Uh, sometimes if I'm galloping towards the end of a book, I will often be working six days a week. And sometimes in the last two weeks, I'll work seven days a week. Uh, and, uh, and the reason for that is I've got to keep it all in my head. Yeah. Because if I, if I stop working for two days, then it may take me a day and a half to get up to speed. If I stop working for four days, I've probably got to go back to the beginning of the manuscript and read it all through again, which is, which is no bad thing because, you, you know, you comb out the knots as you do so. But once, I, once, I, once I'm up to speed, then bang, you know, and I know exactly what's going on. And I'm, I just tend to hold it all in my head, to be honest. You know, and everything, it's a wonderful feeling because, and you'll know this, because everything starts to tunnel a bit round you. And then, and then you've got this focus on these, just these words on this screen, and like nothing else exists in the world. And, and it's, it's a very exciting time. And then you, you, all of a sudden, you know, everything starts bouncing off everything else, and ideas beget other ideas, and this and that. And, that. and then you think of something entirely new, and you go, brilliant. And literally, the, the, the time just vanishes. Um, but it's, it's a great, great place to be. Do you find um, moments of clarity when you're like in the shower or washing dishes, doing something mindless, and suddenly something goes? Oh, oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, road trips are great. Yeah, I, I never, I never listen to audio books. I never, unless the kids are in the car. If I'm on my own, it's different. Right. If I'm on my own in the car and I'm driving, I don't know, down to you know railway station or whatever, um, I turn off the radio. I don't listen to the audio books. I don't have anything going on, and I just kind of let my mind go a little blank. Yeah. And and I think about the book, and and some idea comes to me. And uh, yeah, the shower is a great place. I find. With your complicated relationship to Early Riser, do you think there will be a, a sequel? Uh, I'm, I I don't think so. I, I'm I I've got too many series that I've got to finish. I've got to do the last Dragon Slayer book. That's number four. Um, and uh, re readers are clamouring for a sequel to Shades of Grey and for Thursday Next Eight. So I'm I think for my next three books I'm going to be doing nothing but sequels. So I'm really not kind of thinking about anything else. But during that time, you know, as you know, you know when you're when you're working on one project, you're kind of thinking of the next because yeah. they're all kind of ideas that you can't use in the current project because it doesn't didn't seem right. But, you know, you can fit in somewhere else and they're just too good to to erase from the mind. Um, so I'm going to do so I've got this other book I've just finished writing 
Um, and then I'm doing sequels for three years. And after that, um, I'm not sure, maybe more standalones. But it's it's exciting because I, I don't know what that book is. You know, there will be a book in whatever it is, four years time. And I have no idea what it is now. And where, where is it now? It's kind of in the ether. And I've just got to sort of pluck it out and mould it and, you know, and put it onto the page. Exciting times. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Send us your attempts to get into the OED via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to Gronk cosplayer Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber garage band our random fan shout out this week goes to allison granite no reason it's just random sort of special thanks to david j Lore of the incomparable network and the incomparable radio theater podcast and finally thanks very much to you for listening i'm austin titchener 640 1920ths of the reduced shakespeare company well, I have a much less complicated relationship to Early Riser than you do. I loved it. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank and I you. suspect the readers are going to love it as well. And uh, as always, we can't wait for whatever your next books turn out to be. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.